Let's uh, find a seat if we can, or if uh, you're going to another uh, breakout session. They're probably getting started right now as well, and so, man, there's a lot of good stuff going on right now. So this is our last session of the conference, and I'm impressed by everyone who's here uh, in the midst of the, uh, the travel conditions and all those things, so thanks for being here. But my name is Dan Renault. Uh, I'm the pastor of Living Faith, and I've been working with uh, Pastor Briscoe during the Discovery Bible Method and Creation to Christ uh, studies, these evangelistic Bible studies. And so we need to get started. We got a lot to cover. I think we got a- enough time to get through it. And uh, we got some guys that are handing you notes, and I hope that if you're in the live stream that you have access to the handout as well. I, I did not check with Jorge this morning. Um, I, I saw him, but I didn't ask him. So I hope that if you are online, you're able also to have a lot of our information. And uh, if not, I'm sure we can get that to you. So before we get into our study this morning, and I don't know if Briscoe is, is here right now, or if he had to run, but uh, are there any questions in regards to what we covered yesterday? And I don't even know if I have the mic on me. Are, are there any questions in regards to the, uh, the breakout session that we had yesterday? I see someone has a hand up. Are you looking for a handout? You're, yeah, okay, so any questions? And I can repeat it. I don't have, I guess I do have mics. No questions? Okay. So while they're handing the, the notes out, I, I'd like to say that Pastor Sam said that, that the party down here last night was going to be better than what we had out in Living Faith, and I'm, I'm just, you just missed it. I don't know. I, I can't, sorry. Like, we even had, like, arm wrestling contests at the end, so, uh, which I did not participate in. I'm, I'm smart enough for that. But you got guys who are usually jovial, all of a sudden face gets, like, deadpan, you know, like, super serious, and so that happened in my, my kitchen, so... Uh, thankfully, nothing was broken, but uh, we had a good time, and I hope you guys had a good time if you were down here uh, worshiping the Lord and then afterwards uh, enjoying the new year. Um, but you guys ready? I think everyone has a, a handout by now. Yeah? Okay, let's pray. Ask the Lord for his direction. Lord, we love you, and uh, God, it's so true that, that we need you this morning Uh, Just like we did in 2021, we need you in 2022. We are a desperate people. Uh, God, the longer I am in your ministry, the more I'm convinced that the only thing I could accomplish in and of myself is to hurt others and to make a mockery of your name. And so today, Lord, we need your Holy Spirit to guide. We need your Holy Spirit to instruct. We need your Holy Spirit to convince and reprove and God, just to give us an ability to see what the next step is. And so, Lord, I pray that today as we study the study from creation to Christ and as we look into the depths of this, Lord, that it would be helpful for us. Some of us, maybe we've been in this class before. Maybe for some, this is their their first time. And so, Lord, I pray that, God, you would give us ears to hear. It's already been a busy week, and uh, I know sometimes sitting in the pews can get tiring after so many messages. Lord, give us ears to hear and feet to walk out your truth. And uh, Lord, I pray that today would be profitable, and it's in your son's name. Amen. Okay, well, I said it earlier, but my name is Dan Renault. I'm the pastor at Living Faith in Lee Summit. It is crazy to think 
but that we have been a church, I think it's January 7th was our, was our first Sunday, we've been a church for five years, January 7th. We were sent out five years ago, and uh, it's just kind of incredible to think, that's, that's weird. Uh, it's, it's getting strange, so... Um, Anyway, we're excited, though, about that, and, and God's been good to us. He's, he's allowed us to be a disciple-making church. I, I don't believe that we can call ourselves a church plant anymore, which is kind of cool. It's kind of a neat thing, and, and uh, so God's done a work with us out in Lee Summit, which is about 30 minutes south, uh, southeast of here, and so uh, very excited about that. Uh, let's get into it, though. Proverbs 25, 11, it says this. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pictures of silver. I've always loved that, that proverb. It's so poetic and so visual. And, and as you read it, you can actually picture uh, the reality of that, of that statement. And as you read that, a word fitly spoken, you know what it's like? It's like apples of gold on this nice picture of silver. This, 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 this beautiful setting. And what that means is quite evidently that they're you know, and when you think about that, it's like, well, well that's a word fitly spoken. It, it's a word that, that was spoken just perfectly. Have you guys ever been in that situation where maybe you're talking with a friend or a loved one, even a mom or a dad, and maybe, it's, maybe you are witnessing, or maybe it's just, maybe you're just talking with someone, but you know what you just said was like, well, that was the perfect thing to say at this moment. You guys know what I mean by that? That's a word fitly spoken. What that means, though, is quite evidently that, that there's also words that, that may not fit. There are also words that may not fit. There, there, there may be words that are of no profit and at times appear out of place. And Lord knows I've done that over and over. And I've, I've had times where I've, maybe I haven't been sensitive to the leading of God's Holy Spirit and I've spoken into someone's life and, and as I'm leaving, I'm like, well, that was, that was awful. <laughs> and it wasn't what they said was awful. It's what I said was awful. That, was, that didn't fit. It wasn't a word that was fitly spoken and Sometimes words can be out of place. Proverbs 25, 25, it says this, As cold waters to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. So it proves to reason that cold waters in a, in a blizzard, you know, in a setting like today where it's, it's nasty out and the driving conditions are bad and, and some people are staying home because, you know, probably they're the smart ones, right? But... Man, in, in, a, in, a, in a blizzard setting, man, cold water is, is really not what you're desiring usually. You're, you're wanting something that's warm, something that you can hold around your hands. Isaiah 50, verse 4, it says, The Lord God hath given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. Now, this verse makes me think of Job's friends. You guys, you know, study the book of Job, and if you study that book, you realize, like, these guys were, like, geniuses. You know, the, his friends that he, that he was with and that he spent time with, they were, they were pretty intelligent. They were pretty, it was, they were pretty incredible with what they knew of, of God and what they knew of even end times and, and God's intentions for man and so I think about Job's friends, and man, they were spitting knowledge all over the place. And yet none of their statements had any direct benefit to Job's actual situation. They were incredibly wise. 
Uh, maybe I should say they were incredibly smart. They had much knowledge when it came to the word and they were well-versed in so many different doctrines. The problem was is that none of their statements had any bearing on the actual life or circumstances that Job was actually going through at that time. So often Christians have great amounts of insight into the word of God, but little of it has lasting effect for the weary soul. We just read a couple verses, as cold waters to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. I think so often we have so much information and insight about the word of God, but yet we have lasting effect for the soul that's weary, for the soul that's searching. Maybe they don't even know what they're searching. Maybe like Brandon was saying, they're searching for friends, but they don't know it really that they're searching for a true lasting relationship with Christ. Ecclesiastes 12, 10, it says, The preacher sought to find out acceptable words, words that were fitly spoken, not just words that they could spew out that would be knowledgeable, but that words that would actually touch the weary soul. It says that the preacher sought out to find acceptable words, and that which was written was upright, even words of truth. I think too often we as believers are focusing on the wrong things. We crave knowledge instead of virtue. Second Peter chapter 1, it says, add to your faith what? Virtue. And yet so often, in the same way that sometimes we can jump a step, we do that with these, these stages of growth for a Christian. We're Instead of walking up every step, we, you know, we kind of want to jostle up quickly and, well you, well, you just skip virtue. You just skip virtue because you were in such a hurry to grow in your, in your walk with God, yet you missed the very thing that he intended for you before you became a Pharisee. Before you became the guy who knows everything. He's like, I said add to faith virtue. Virtue is not mentioned a lot in the Bible, but, but when it is... You have a person that's grabbing on to the hem of Christ. And virtue, power came out of him and entered into her and brought healing. You don't see virtue a lot, but what you find is that when it, when it does happen, people are holding on to the very garment of Jesus. Virtue comes from him. It's that whatever the cost, I'm going to hang on to you, God. I always like to think of virtue as saying, yes, I'm in. God, you're the only one. And then add virtue, we add to knowledge. And then after knowledge, we have temperance. I think temperance, I always think of saying no. <laughs> virtue says yes, temperance says no. There are things that we have to say no to in our lives. And, and in, in the middle of those, is we have a person who is learning to have knowledge in the scriptures. But we crave as, as believers so often, and, and we like to mock and ridicule at time, you know, the new Gnostic tendencies of our world. And, and man, the internet has, has absolutely created a, a venue where Gnosticism is on the rise. And there's so many attempts at secret knowledge and all the conspiracy garbage that's out there. There's so many people, and, and I'm talking people that are like your close friends, your neighbors, and, and behind the shadows, they're, they're into some weird crap. <laughs> they're into some weird things that they... <laughs> You're just talking about their garden, you know, the day before. And, and now they're, you know, 
they're behind YouTube and they're checking out the weirdest, craziest stuff. And so we make fun of, of all of the Gnostics that are in the world, everyone who's trying to find the secret knowledge of all this, and yet we do the same thing. We try to chase after all those, those secret truths of the scriptures so that we can wow our friends and influence the pastor. Do you guys see how, how petty that is? Instead of seeking after virtue, grabbing hold of the garment of Jesus Christ, knowing that power is going to come from that very place. We long to be wise. Genesis chapter 3. When God simply desires our obedience. He simply desires for, for his children to say, God, I'm in. I want to be with you. I want to grab hold of you. And whatever you say, God, I want to do it. I don't understand it all. I don't understand your intent. But God, I don't need to know everything. Yes, I need to be able to give uh, an answer to them that are without. We're going to use that verse in just a second. We should be looking for an answer to them that are without. But you know what? So often, I don't have the answers. <laughs> but I know he does. And I'm convinced that as I spend time with him, as I spend time with my Savior, that I, I will actually, as I grow in union with him, actually have the answers that are needed in the moment. Because that's the Holy Spirit that does that work, not because I'm some intellectual. Otherwise, based upon my academy, based upon my agency, based upon my own intellect, I can then have a relationship with Christ. Thus, if someone might not be as intellectual as me, they can't have as significant a relationship with Christ. Well, that's garbage. I'm sorry, but that's garbage. I'm not going to exalt someone just because they have, in some way, more of an acumen for learning than another person who might be just this blue-collar dude, but he's in love with Christ. That person can know the person of Christ, the purpose of Christ, way more than I can just because I have some type of intellectual ability. Please, get over yourself. God desires not the wise, he desires the obedient. And those who pursue virtue. John 1, Then said they unto him, Who art thou that we may give an answer to them that sent us? What sayest thou of thyself? And we want to be able to give that answer. But the answer is not some knowledge, but of who sent you. I want to give an answer of who sent you. Who are you? And who do you stand for? First Peter 3.15, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. We desire, yes, to be a people that can give an answer to them that are without. But guys, it cannot be based upon your intellect or all the years of study. And yet, by the way, you need to study. You need to be a people that are is studying the book, rightly dividing, so that you can be approved of God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. We know that, okay? But I'm telling you this, the people that are used of God, and I've been in ministry long enough, the people that are used of God are not the wisest, they're not the most clever, they're the ones that are faithful and available, ones that are obedient to the call and holding on to the very garment of Christ. You see, when you look at a verse like that, 1 Peter 3.15, it 
says, be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. What does that verse even suggest? If we want to take the Bible literally, it tells us that the, that the world is still asking questions. The world is still asking questions, and I believe this with all of my heart, and I believe that it's doubled down since COVID. The world is looking for answers. They're looking for hope. They are still asking questions. But when they ask of the hope that lies within you, we respond answering a question that they're not asking most often. So often when the world is asking you of the hope that lies within you, we answer with another question or we answer a question that they did not ask sometimes. People want to know why you're a Christian, not who Melchizedek is. I get it, it's cool. People want to know why Jesus, not whether or not Adam and Eve ate an apple or a grape. I mean, come on, guys. And that's cool. I mean that sincerely. It's great to study those things. It's cool to understand the, the depths of God's word. And, and as we grow deeper and, and fondness in relationship with him, God reveals more of those things to us. But man, if you, talk to your, if you talk to your wife that way, the first time you met her, she would not be your wife. Right? If you tried to talk that way, and yet we try, to, we try to be weirdos half the time when we're trying to share the gospel with people. We talk about things that are, that are man, they're, they're compelling, they're fascinating, I mean that. But it's not leading people to an answer. That's not what, what's compelling people to an answer. You see, the issue is not that the lost world has a lack of interest in the spiritual. Quite the contrary. The lost world is more spiritually minded now than they have been since before the age of the Enlightenment. And if you've done any type of Western Civ classwork or any type of studies of, of recent um, Western uh, culture or history, man, you know that for the last 250 years, man, if, it, if you can't taste it, touch it, feel it, throw it, smell it, whatever, well... You know, the scientific world says, well, either it doesn't exist or it's not of importance. And I'm just telling you right now that the world is leaving that, that period. The world is becoming much more spiritually minded. It's just not spiritually minded in the way that we used to think, which was going to church. Or all of the organized religions that we have, in maybe our circles, grown to understand. Right now, we are living in a very spiritually minded world. People are gravitating towards things that only 20 years ago we would think of as being outlier, as odd, as strange, as, as bizarre, with new age mystic practices. Wicca is on the rise, and I don't mean like just a little bit. Uh, man, we're talking about, you know, the charging of crystals and, and you know, burying things in the earth so it can be released of the toxins and then re-earthing it so that it can be refreshed again, having things out in the moon or in the sun. These are things that are just like becoming common practice. This is not like, like well, that's strange. Well, it is strange, but that's neo-pagan. That's not like, well, where'd they get this? Like the Druids, 
You know, they, they, they got this from like thousands of years ago and it's all coming full circle. And, and, man, and that's just one little, you know, snapshot. The issue, I should say, or one of the issues, right? We have a, a spiritually minded world. The issue for us as the church is that we are not listening. I was talking with uh, some of the pastors uh, a couple days ago, and we had some of our growing leaders with us. And uh, one of the questions was, you know, from a person who wasn't a pastor, man, we want to know how we can support you. How can we support the pastors of our local churches? And one of the things I said is, you got to listen. Just listen to what the pastor talks about. The pastor won't always know how to tell you what they need. You guys know that? Just tell me what to do. And they're like, oh, I don't know, we're doing okay. But then if you stick around and you keep listening to that individual, you'll realize what's on his heart because he's going to keep talking about it over and over again. And then when finally, because you've spent proximity with that individual for a while, it sounds like you need help with this. Sounds like no one's picking up the trash afterwards. Can I help you with that? Man, if you could do that, that'd be great. And so often, I believe that, that we try to help people, whether it's in the church or outside the church, but we're just not listening. And so when we're trying to help people, and especially those in need, we're not listening to the questions that they're asking. In that way, I believe that it's just because sometimes we're lazy. We want to give the gospel, but we don't want to do it in a way that's responsive to the questions that they're asking. Yes, we give the gospel, but we're doing it in such a way that does not reveal to lost man why he actually is lost. We say things like this, you need to get saved. You need to get saved. And he says, I'm not lost. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, like, you're lost in your sin. They're like, I don't think so. You need to be found. I'm not actually lost. <laughs> saved from what? You need to accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. He says, I don't need to be rescued. And then, you know, what we say from that. So, so we say, you know, you're lost and you need to be found in Christ. You need to be saved. You need to be born again. And they're like, yeah, I'm actually good. And you know how we respond? We say, well, I guess he didn't want it. I guess, I guess he just didn't want it. I guess she just wasn't interested they don't even know what they don't have. They don't know what they don't have. Our gospel witness becomes inept, not because of knowledge, not because we lack knowledge of the scriptures or the ability to give the gospel, but because we are not considering the questions people are asking. And secondly, we are not showing the world a contextualized gospel. Maybe you could write that down on your notes, I don't know. We are not showing the world a contextualized gospel. As we know in Bible study, one of the principles of Bible studies is what? It's context is key. A lot of the false teachings of the world, a lot of false doctrines when someone takes a verse, like the Mormons do, saying, speaking of baptism for the dead, and then they try to pr present that as now a doctrinal position, and you got living people who are being baptized multiple times for dead ancestors. How many times does that verse come up in the Bible? That comes up one time. How many times is that principle or that teaching? 
And yet, because there's no ability to provide context, we, we rip things out. And this is how false teachers do all the time. They, they take one thing and they create this whole world and then they try to infuse it back into the Bible and it corrupts the whole scene. And so we understand, and, and this is why we as a church and a fellowship of churches, we apply context. I can't just make the Bible say what I want it to say. I have to cross-reference. I have to look at different passages in, in the scriptures to make sure that I'm not interpreting God's word according to my own will or desire, but I'm allowing the word of God to interpret itself. I'm allowing God himself to define his own words. And so we understand that context is key. We get that. But so often when we provide a gospel witness, we're not considering the context Right? The situation that surrounds that individual. And it's important for us to consider the context by which that individual is placed in their life. Where are they? What questions are they asking? Where are they at in their life? Where are they at with their relationships? Where are they with you? Those are important questions to ask. If we keep giving a thirsty soul a powdered donut, don't be surprised when they seem disinterested. Just dripping off the white chocolate. You know, I don't even actually like powdered donuts that much, but you guys get what I'm talking about. If you give someone and all they want is just a, a glass of water and you try to offer them some powdered donut, what they, they might love donuts. Man, I just need some water. You know, and I think so often we're, we're kind of doing stuff like that. It's kind of a, a, a goofy example, but don't be surprised when you try to offer someone and they don't actually take it and you're like, well, I guess they just weren't interested. I guess they weren't, they didn't care. See, it's not that the powdered donut is not appealing. It's just that it's not answering the right question. It's not answering the right need. So then how does the gospel become cold waters to a thirsty soul? The answer is one word, context. Context. How does the gospel become cold water to a thirsty soul? It is context. I believe it is our responsibility to provide a contextually sound gospel to the lost world, not just giving the gospel, but declaring the why of the gospel. So then today, I'd like to introduce an evangelical and equipping study called Creation of Christ. I believe that the, the study from Creation of Christ, or just Creation of Christ, C2C, is what some people will, will break it down into, is both evangelical, but I believe it's also equipping. I believe that in a small group setting, especially if you use DBM as, as a method, yes, you will have the lost and the saved, and that it does both. It's evangelical, but it also equips new believers on how they can also give the gospel. So it's this multifaceted tool that we can use. I've given you some notes. You obviously have the handout where you can fill in some of the blanks if you want. But there's also a couple other things that I gave you. And, and I've just collected this throughout the years. Um, on the second page, what you find is this is kind of a breakdown of some of the different categories that you'll, that you'll find yourself entering into as you walk through the Creation to Christ study. Now, one of the questions that we had uh, yesterday was, was thinking that Creation to Christ was somewhat of a topical uh, study. And by very nature of its definition, I suppose it is topical. But the way that we study it and the way that it actually becomes a discovery Bible method uh, uh, practice is that it's actually expositional. All we're doing is going through different portions of scripture to highlight the story of God's creation to the cross. 
And so you'll see on this, this second page, it just, and guys, this is just me trying to help you out, you know, like to give you something that maybe you can walk home with and you can see some of the different categories. If you look through this, if you read through this, I think, back and forth page, this, this, this two-sided document, you'll find that this is actually what we're trying to cover. This is kind of the territory that we're trying to cover. You'll also see on, on the third page a Creation of Christ, a 10-week study. I got this from Brandon. They broke down the Creation of Christ into, into 10 simple studies. And actually, with, with, with Briscoe, he actually took it even beyond the cross to see what's the next step after accepting Christ. And we see even passages in Acts and actually 2 Timothy. I also included, now I think last time we did this, I included a, a couple more. This, the next one is a 26-week study. And, and man, you're really starting to get into some of the weeds of the story of, of, of the cross and the story of, of Christ being the savior of the world. And so there's just some available tools for you. I think online there's even like a, a 47 week. I mean, it, there's, there's some pretty involved studies if you want. And then lastly, this is from IMB, uh, the Go Impact page. And, and uh, one of the reasons why they had the, the visuals is because at times, well, well actually, and I'm gonna get to this, Creation of Christ was a study that was first given for um, people groups and places that did not have access to the word of God and sometimes were, did not have access to reading. Like, so actually that was not available to the people groups that they were speaking to. So I just wanted to briefly go over that, why you have about you know, 15 documents here. I just wanted to be able to take things home with you. If you, if you wanna carry these with you, you'll have some, some maybe help to, to do this on your own. Let's get back to it. Creation to Christ was first developed a few years back in association with the Discovery Bible Method. It was intended to engage people groups that were either unreached, unengaged, or post-Christian in nature. In some instances, the Creation to Christ story was told in picture format, like I just showed you. The Bible study is simple in nature. It is essentially a series of passages from the book of Genesis to the Gospels. And the primary goal is, number one, this is, this is point number one, to deliver the complete story of the Gospel to the lost. The primary goal of the Creation to Christ story is to deliver the complete story of the Gospel to the lost. Not just the story, but the complete. And, and why, am I, why am I emphasizing that? Because it, it helps us if we give a contextualized understanding of the scriptures. People can understand the gospel in its fullness. So creation to Christ, it seeks to provide a contextual framework for the gospel. Thus, it is answering two questions. There are two questions that are being answered when you try to deliver the complete story of the gospel. Number one, what is the gospel? What is it? And I think we're pretty good at, at giving the what. You guys understand that? I think pretty, most of us who desire to be, to be evangelical, I think we're pretty good at giving the what of the gospel. But creation to Christ also provides, more importantly, why the gospel? I believe that, that we as a church, we desire to, to say, what is the gospel? This is the gospel. But I think sometimes what we, what we miss is why the gospel? 
What we're trying to do is we're trying to bring people closer to truly understanding the gospel, to truly understanding the fullness of it. And I, I'm speaking of all people. Creation of Christ is trying to bring all people, lost or saved, because I believe some people who have come to Christ, they've accepted the free gift of salvation, and they truly have, yet they don't understand the depths and, and, and the fullness of like, wait, this is the full story of the gospel? This is what God intended for my life? Yes, that's the gospel. We're going to get into that a little bit. For those who claim to be followers of Christ, the creation to Christ study equips us to know more fully God's redemption story for man. But for others, maybe, maybe those who have grown up religious, maybe, maybe you didn't, possibly you grew up in church your whole life but have never made the personal decision to accept Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, for this individual, my prayer is that they will come to know him as their Redeemer. So for the saved individual who has who has accepted Christ as their Savior, creation of Christ, the desire of is that they would grow in the fullness of understanding their redemption. For the lost individual, those who do not have a relationship with Christ, the desire for creation of Christ is to bring them closer to a place where they can make a personal decision to accept Him as their Savior. For this individual, my prayer is that they will come to know Him as their Redeemer. And so here is one of the main points, and I think I'll have it on the next PowerPoint slide. This is one of the main points of the Creation of Christ study. That at some point, all people will be confronted with the fact that we are sinners separated from God. This is one of the most important things that you are trying to establish in any gospel witness. But that from Creation to Christ... We will walk through the scriptures so that when people leave this study or leave that time with you, one of the main things that they understand is that they are a sinner and that sin, that wrongdoing has separated them from a thrice holy God. We're trying to establish that. Not from some elitist standpoint, well, because I'm saved, I want to tell you how you're not, but to say, listen, we all were lost. We all were separated. And our sins have done that. Our wrongdoings have separated us from having a true and holy walk with Him. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, it says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, neither His ear heavy, that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Is the Lord's hand shortened? What's the answer? No. Can he not save? No, of course he can. Is, are, are his ears dull of hearing that he can't hear? We know the answer is that God is more than capable. But your sin has separated you from him. So that he has to hide his face from you. And he will not hear. Too often Christians speak of being saved or born again. But we fail to communicate what that even means. Well I accepted Christ as my savior. 
at such and such age. I was born again. And we use Christian terms, and I would say, actually, we use biblical terms. To be born again is such a biblical term. Just tell me what it means. To be saved is a biblical term, but just tell me what that means. Saved from what? I've heard it on TV. I've heard the, the televangelist. I've heard the preacher. I've, I've heard my aunt, my uncle, my grandfather. They all talk about being saved. Man, I'm good. I'm good. They say, you need to be born again. I'm all right. What does that even mean? One of the primary motivations of this series is not only to lead people, all of us, closer to Christ, but it is to show first and foremost that we are lost without him. That is the goal of creation to Christ, is to show that we are lost without him. This is key point number one. We had point one, this is key point number one. Just get, yeah, That's me, I can't help it. To be saved, we must first realize we're lost. <laughs> to be saved, we must first realize we're lost. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I cannot stress this enough that too many times we are trying to give the gospel to someone and we're trying to show someone why they need to be saved and yet we haven't given them the terms to show them that they've been lost, that they're separated, that they're lost without him. And then when they don't accept the gospel, we're like, I guess they just didn't want it. They don't know what they don't have. Do you, are you guys with me on this? Am I, are, are we on the same page so far? So we, we talked about point one and our key point one. This is point number two. Without sin, there is no need for a savior. Without sin, there is no need for a savior. Without man's falling away, there is no need for God's work of redemption and reconciliation through Christ. Let's just admit it. We got to admit it. In fact, that's why most of us as Christians don't live in desperate dependence for God's moving in our own lives. It's because we've, we've fallen numb to, to, the, to the reality is that you were lost without him. You see, without sin, there's no need for a savior. And even for so many of us, the reason why we're not broken over the sins of the lost or even broken over our own sin is because we forgot that we needed to be saved. Without man's falling away, there's no need for God's work of redemption. So when you ask someone if they want to give their life to Christ and be saved, most people have no way to grasp the severity of a question like that. For the lost, they didn't grow up reading the Bible. We can't assume that they know the stories. In fact, what creation to Christ presupposes is that they don't know the stories. Well, I know all the stories, Dan. I know, I know about, you know, Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. I know about Noah. I know about Abraham. I know about, you know, Jacob Esau. I know about Israel. I know about Joseph. I know about Moses. We just keep going. I know about Joshua. I know about the judges, Samson, Gideon, Samuel. Right? We just keep going, right? I know these guys. Saul, David. Let's keep going. Solomon. I know the stories. I read the books. Well, we can't assume that they do know the stories. 
And even if they do, we can't assume that they understand the merit of those or, or why God included them in his word. So let's cut to the chase. Creation to Christ does not begin with the cross. Creation to Christ, this study does not begin with the cross. It doesn't begin with John 3.16. Romans Road, although incredibly powerful, comes a little bit later. It doesn't begin with the fact that Christ died for you. You're like, well, I don't know if I like this now. It doesn't begin with the fact that Christ died for you. You know how creation of Christ begins? It begins with the fact that you are claiming that there is one true God. That's where it starts. It starts with the proclamation that you and I are accountable to a God and that there is a true God who loves you. It begins there. That's where it starts. It doesn't start with the, with the bloody cross. Do you guys see the, the kind of the, the craziness of, of, of how we try to give the gospel so often? And we start with like, there's a God who loves you, but he's also a man, and he died on the cross for your sins. And then he rose again. And they're like, what, what are we talking about? Do you know where we need to start today? We need to start today with, there is a God. And there is a one true God. You see, before you assume that they want to honor God, you're wanting to reveal to them that he even exists. Let's start here. Do they even believe in God? Do they even believe in God? Secondly, the passages that make up the creation to Christ study demonstrate fully not only that there is a God, but that he is the creator of man and of all creation. So the very first thing you're trying to establish with this individual, and maybe they don't care, and, that, and you might have to move on, okay, but if a person is interested in doing some type of discovery Bible method or in even just a creation to Christ study in some regard... Where it begins is, hey, listen, let's understand the fact that there is a God. But on top of that, that he created you. There's a God and he created you in all of this creation. But then a horrible thing happened in Genesis 3 and man fell away from God. In this moment, man lost his innocence before God and he inherited a sinful nature. And so ever since Adam's fall... We have all been born sinners. We have born, been born after Adam's image. No longer are we born in the image of God, which was, which was found in Genesis chapter 2. And we see it with Adam and Eve. Now we are born not in God's image, but after Adam's image. Genesis, what, 5, 3? We're now born in his image. And so ever since Adam's fall, we have all been born. Man, you guys know how it is? You look just like your grandma. You look just like your dad. Oh, man, you're a spitting image of your uncle. Well, how does that happen? Well, guess what? You got their DNA, man. You, you, it, this is a generational thing. Just like Adam sinned. Well, sorry, guys, you picked that up. You also have been born into that sin nature. You see, I'm not a sinner. Right? You guys have heard this. I'm not a sinner because I sin. I sin because I'm a sinner. It's not that just like, well, at one point in my life, shucks, I sinned. And that made me now a sinner. No, guys, I'm sorry. You were born a sinner. You were born into sin. That is now your nature. We need to know this from the beginning of time. 
God's plan of redemption was found in Christ, Acts 15, 18. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. I hope you can understand this, that God is not crafting his plan as he goes along. God is not crafting his plan. He's not constructing a plan as he goes along. He has known it from the very beginning. This is what we're trying to get at with teaching a Bible study in this format. We want to walk a person through significant parts of the Old Testament so that they can fully, fully see the relevance of God's redemption story, which culminates with Christ. We're, we're wanting to walk them, of all places, through the Old Testament. Most, pe- most Christians are like, well, I go to the Old Testament, and I don't want to go there. Yeah, we want to give context. We want to provide context for the redemption story, not just jumping to the cross and like, what's the deal, why? We're wanting to give not just the what of the gospel, but the why of the gospel, which that only happens by providing context for the gospel, and we start in the Old Testament. And God, there is one true God, and he created you, but there's been a fall, and after that we've been born into Adam's image, and so thus we are all sinners in need of what? Salvation. Salvation, to be saved, redemption, to be reconciled to God. And this redemption story, which began in Genesis, verses after the fall, isn't that crazy? Verses after the fall, right after the fall, God says, okay, well, here's the first messianic prophecy in Genesis 3.15. Right away, God says, he's ready for his redemption story. The redemption story starts then. Christ dying on the cross was not plan B. Do you guys know that? It wasn't plan B. Ephesians chapter 3 says in verse 1, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you, how that by revelation he'd made known unto me the mystery, which in other ages, verse 5, was not made known. So now we live in the church age, and Paul is saying, God made known to me what his intentions were from all mankind. It has now been made known in the church that God had always intended to send his son, Jesus Christ, for the sins of the world. It wasn't always known. It says that in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Verse 9. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. This redemption story that God was concocting from the very beginning. And he was not, he's not still crafting. It was already understood. He already knew where he was going. It's now been revealed. It was a mystery in the past, but now it's been made manifest which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. There is a story and plan of redemption, and God has slowly been telling it to us for millennia, and it began, as many stories do, in the beginning. Right? That's how most stories, we love stories like that. In the beginning, 
God's story is just the same because it's the story that began all stories. In the beginning, God. God had a story and a plan of redemption. And now what we see is that he has been slowly telling it to us throughout the age, throughout these millennia. Simply put, Christ dying on the cross was not some last minute Hail Mary. It was a well-orchestrated plan. You see, if, if God's story begins like most stories in the beginning, why wouldn't we tell it like that? You know what I'm saying? Why wouldn't we also tell it like that? Can I tell you a story? Jesus died for you. <laughs> Can I tell you a story of, of a God who loves you? A God who created you? But through man's decision to disobey God, man has been separated from God. God didn't desire this separation. God didn't desire to have this, this revolt. But now we're bearing the consequences of that. And we see that through the scriptures. We see that in history. But God began in the very beginning to show his redemption plan for all humanity, how we can be reconciled to him once again. And we keep walking through that. And all of a sudden, as, as you establish the fact that to be saved, you need to be lost, then when we start to introduce who Christ is, people are going, I get it. I get it. I know what, I know what you're doing now. I see, I see why Christ is the answer. Warren Wearsby says this, the sacrificial death of his son was not an accident. It was an appointment. It was an appointment. Now I'd like to backtrack a little, if you will, and I'd like to ask you a question. Why did God make man? Am I like in philosophy, you know, class all of a sudden? Am I in some type of, you know, deep thought, you know, why did God make man? Guys, we actually have to ask that question. Why did God make man? If you look at Genesis 1.1, I don't know if it's on the board. I mean, most of you guys know it. It says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. What must not be lost is that a decision of this magnitude carries with it a great deal of significance. I think we can read past Genesis 1 and almost not even think about it. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Okay, I got it. Great. Do you guys see where I'm going with this? Like, like we can just pass by that. A decision of that magnitude? If there is a God, and he all of a sudden decided to create a universe, don't you want to ask the question, why? Like, why? Like, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Okay, why? What must not be lost when we read a verse like that is that a decision of that magnitude carries with it a great deal of significance. So before we go any further, we must ask the simple question, why did he do it? Why did God do this? Was God just arbitrarily creating a universe or was there a reason? Well, couldn't you say... Well, can't God just do whatever he wants because he's God? Well, what's the answer to that? Obviously, yes. God can do whatever he wants. We know that the answer is obviously yes. But when one considers, after studying the scriptures, when one considers the full character of God, as you just look at the character of God, does God do anything with a whim? Is anything not orchestrated? Is there, is there ever just, he's just like, well, shucks, I don't know. I just want to make people. 
I just like trees. I like waterfalls. Who doesn't like waterfalls, right? I like how the sun does this, and then in the evening it turns the whole sky, you know, red and orange and purple and blue. And I don't know, I thought it was cool. And it is, right? <laughs> it is cool. It's amazing. Why did, why did God create this universe? Was it just an arbitrary decision? Uh, you know, God could. I mean, he's God. Couldn't he just do what he wants? Yes, that's obviously the answer. We, we get that. But when I think about the full nature of God, the character of God, as it's manifest in the scriptures, you will see that God doesn't do anything arbitrarily. None of his decisions are by chance. In reality, everything God does has a purpose. And this is key point number two. Our creation comes with great purpose and significance. We were not created on a whim, but rather man was created to bring glory and honor and praise to God. This was not an arbitrary decision on God's part. Now you may think of that as as a, a, a thing that may seem separate or periphery in some regard, but that is a major point to this study. You are, if you are going to take someone through this study, you are trying to get them to a place where they realize that God's creation and even the creation of them has great significance. That you were created with purpose. That you were created with significance. Let's create some context. Revelation 12, verse 3 and 4. And there appeared another wonder in heaven. And behold, a great red dragon. Now, okay, I know I'm going to make some assumptions right here with you, but, but for those of us who have studied the Bible for a little while, who's this great red dragon? Satan, the devil. Okay, so, so I know that's an assumption. We don't have time to, to do the cross-references to prove that out, but you should study that on your own. Right now, can you just hang with me to assume that? Revelation 12, this is the devil. It says he has seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. So we have the devil and his tail is, is taking with him a third of the stars of heaven. In the Gospels, we see Christ speaking with his disciples in Luke 10, 18. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. So we see that this great red dragon falls from heaven and he takes a third of the stars of heaven. The stars of heaven are what? The fallen angels in the very beginning. Isaiah 14, 12 through 15. It retells the story of Satan's fall and his prophetic demise. It says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. Again, we see the stars of God, these, this reference to angels. Satan wanted to be the, man, he wanted to be the top dog. It says, I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation and the sides of the north, north I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. 
In these passages, Revelation 12, Luke 10, Isaiah 14, one could even go to Ezekiel 28. In these passages, we see that God's rejection of his anointed cherub, that's Lucifer before he became Satan, Lucifer, the light bearer, this anointed cherub that God created. In these passages, we see that God's rejection of his anointed cherub is clearly a past tense occasion. Lucifer's sole purpose in heaven was to praise God and reflect God's character and God's image throughout the heavens. So that all glory, praise, and honor were to go through Lucifer to God. It's interesting when you, when you do a little bit more study as to who Lucifer was and before he became the devil, you find that, that he was created in all beauty and perfection. And all of these precious stones were his covering. Now, if you think of a precious stone, what does every precious stone need to really shine? It needs some light. And so if you have... Lucifer, who was the anointed cherub standing before the very presence of Almighty God, and God's glory was shining throughout the heavens. Well, man, Lucifer and all of that light and all of those colors, man, it must have been gorgeous. It must have been beautiful. It must have been outstanding to be in the very presence of God. And it's interesting that God says that we are his precious stones. And God intends to do the very same thing through you and I. Lucifer was this anointed cherub and the glory of God throughout all the heavens. God's glory was revealed to all creation. And yet it went through Lucifer. And after a while, Lucifer's looking at himself and he's like, man, look how beautiful I am. The problem is, is that Without the light, no matter how many precious stones you have all over you, it's not that impressive. Without the light of God's glory shining through your life, you're kind of pretty dull. I like to sometimes give the example, especially with, with, our, with our Bible that we have. So often we try to, we try to paint a diamond. <laughs> it's like, it doesn't work. The diamond already was cut in such a way to refract, to reflect the light through it to make it so gorgeous. And when you paint it to make it better, you actually end up just covering it up. And so often when we try to make the glory of God through our life better through our own actions or behavior, we end up usually just covering it up. What am I getting at? Why are we talking about Lucifer? Why are we, why are we taking this little backtrack, if you will? Lucifer's sole purpose in heaven was to praise God and reflect and refract God's great image throughout heaven. All glory, praise, and honor were to go through Lucifer to God and through Lucifer to all of his creation. He was heaven's great worship leader. But as Lucifer fell and with him a third of the angels fell, a great chasm of what? was felt worship a great chasm of worship was felt enter stage right creation of man why were you created 
What was the plan? You and I were created because there was a chasm of worship in this universe. There was a being who was to reflect and refract the glory and honor and praise of God. And that being chose to sin. And through pride and rebellion, discarded their holy cause. And so God says, listen, I'm going to make out of the dirt what you couldn't accomplish out of your perfection, Lucifer. So God creates man with a purpose to effectively give the full nature of the gospel. It is incredibly important to begin with creation. Otherwise, the character of God, the purpose of God, the fall of man, and the hope of man's redemption doesn't make sense. It's like opening a book at the middle and hoping to make sense of it all. It's like walking into a movie midway through and trying to put all the pieces together. So then the goal of looking through these passages is to be able to walk someone from God's creation all the way to their need for Christ the Redeemer. And that could maybe be, for some of you guys at times, a five-minute talk. Yeah, I'm serious. Like, like, as you were to walk through some of these, and maybe it's just in your conversation, you can tell the story of the gospel from creation to, to the cross. Maybe God gives you an hour with this individual. Maybe God gives you a month. Maybe God gives you six months. I don't know what it is. But in some way, we are hoping, and by God's grace, into the, the context of this class that we're giving, we're thinking about a, a DBM method. We're thinking about some type of not confrontational, except Jesus Christ today kind of approach, but a, a drawn out process of, of building a relationship with them. But here's the deal sometimes you don't have six months, and sometimes you don't have even one month. Sometimes all you got is that elevator conversation. Sometimes you have the opportunity at the diner. And then they're flying off to wherever, some other city. And this is it. By God's grace, we would know the gospel in such a way to where we could start at creation. And we could take them to the cross in a fully contextualized manner. To where they could realize that they are lost. That they need a savior. That they are a sinner. That they're in need of saving. That they're in need of, of redemption. Isn't it interesting that you have this, this angelic being who the glory of God shone through him. And yet when he fell and a third of the angels fell, a chasm of worship was felt. And then lo and behold, the very next thing God does is he creates man. Why? I, I don't know. I guess he just wanted to. God created us with a purpose. And I'm not just talking about the church, although we know that we are now enlightened by, by the light of God's word and the truth of the gospel. But God wants this for all of humanity. He wants all of humanity to, to worship him. He wants all of humanity to, to understand, and this is the great thing, guys, their purpose for living. Do you guys know that there's so many people in this world do you know what they're looking for? Purpose. Why are people committing suicide at a rate that we, have, we haven't seen because of COVID 
Everyone's isolated. Everyone is in fear, fear for their life, fear for for, uh, this disease. And some people, they just lose all hope. What if we, from creation to the cross, from creation to Christ, what if we could show them that you were born with a purpose and not be some life coach and you just got to figure it out. What's your purpose? What's your purpose? You can find your purpose. You can find your purpose and as if we're all just going to keep searching. I hope I can find my purpose. Uh, God already gave it to you. And it's to worship and honor and praise his name. If I was a designer, if I was an architect, if I was some creator, I'm hoping that that thing that I create would actually function in the way that I meant it to function. You think God is any different? God desires for us to function according to the way in which we were made. What does that have to do with anything? This is the gospel story. This is the gospel. It's not just the cross. That's the culmination of the whole story. Guys, the gospel story is that you and I were born with a purpose. And it's to glorify and praise him. So often we cheapen the deal with people trying to get them into heaven. And they don't even understand. Then they get saved. And they still don't understand that the greater purpose of their salvation was always to give praise to God. That was the plan. That's the good news. That's the gospel. Guys, this study is not about getting someone in heaven. As much as we want that, it's not about that. This study, your job is just to obey. You're not getting commission on how many people you lead to Christ. You're not getting notches on the belt. Okay, it's nothing like that. It's nothing weird, okay? It's... Guys, my, my opportunity with people is not to see how many people I can get in heaven. And I desperately want that. This study, and, and let's just balloon it out. Your life should be to reveal to people that God wants to be reconciled to man. In fact, he's desired it since the foundation of his creation. My desire with anyone, whether they reject it or accept it, is for them to know at the end of the day, at the end of the month, at the end of the sixth month, is for them to know I was made with a purpose. And that purpose is to glorify God. And now I have a choice. And that choice is found in the finished work of Christ on the cross. Will I accept it or reject it? It's their choice. I'm not trying to be indifferent. But I'm saying our responsibility is to simply obey and by God's grace give the best demonstration of the fact that they were made with a purpose by God. And it's to worship him with everything they've got. And only only then will they find satisfaction. So let's close with this. So many people want to know why they exist. So many people, in fact, end their lives because they believe the lie that they have no purpose and that life doesn't matter. I want to tell you right now that your life does matter. It does. You absolutely matter to God. If you want to know why you exist, I will tell you right now, you and I were created for two main purposes, to replenish and expand God's kingdom and to replenish and expand the worship 
that was lost when Satan fell. We are to replenish and expand the kingdom of God and in doing so, replenish and expand the worship that was lost when Lucifer fell. You were made to glorify God. Now, before even considering the creation of Christ passages, maybe you guys have been flipping through, you saw the 10-week the study, you, thought, you saw the 26-week study. Maybe you're looking at it and you're thinking, man, I could do this in four weeks, I could do this in 12, I could do this in 47. You know, there's all types of different you know, ways of doing this. What you've probably already realized is that this is really more of a holistic approach than this is the class that you do now and this is the study we do now. No, it's, it's you have free reign as to how you, you want to attack that scripture, how you want to, by God's Holy Spirit leading, deal with that individual that you love so much or that group that, you, that you're seeking to have a, a walk with Christ. Before we look into the passages, what we need to consider are what are the landmark steps for a person to become a believer? And I have these eight different landmark steps. I think I have that. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it, Dad. We have these eight different landmarks that are needed. Number one, what you're trying to accomplish is, do they believe that there is a God? Number two, that he created us and this universe. We're trying to establish the fall of man, that we are now separated from God's love. We then walk through the law, which the law is not a bad thing. It's a reflection of God's character. The only problem is that we can't fulfill the law. There's a failure of the law. Man's inability to live up to the law is on full display, which shows the, the, the person you're speaking to or the, the group that you're speaking to is that we fall short, right, without going to Romans 3 and Romans 6. We see Christ, even though we fall short, Christ fulfilled the law, and then he died in our place. There was no other way for man to be redeemed. And then lastly, resurrection. Christ, because he never sinned, by the power of God, rose again, defeating death. I'd like to say this. If you believe God is specifically calling you to be a missionary, to be an individual who is proclaiming the word or, or to be uh, sharing the gospel in your community or even abroad, then know this. People do not know the gospel. They do not know the gospel. They do not know who Jesus is. They do not know John 3.16. So when you begin telling them a story of a person they've never heard of before, don't be surprised that when you say that Jesus can live in their hearts, don't be surprised that that's a weird statement and that he wants to be your husband and that he'll be all these things if you accept him to save you from your sin. <laughs> he... He wants to be your husband, your lover, your companion. He died on the cross for you. He can live in your heart and you can live in his. <laughs> Do you guys see? We say these things without explaining the context of things. Don't be surprised when there's some questions. Oh, and by the way, if you don't accept him, you will go to a fiery hell. So there's that as well. Let's keep going. If you just randomly point to different passages in a book that they've never heard of, the Bible but you treat it as if it's commonplace and then you just go into it using verses and chapters to support your case, know that you might not be effective. This is how the Bible sounds to a lost person without context. For a non-Christian nation, this is what the gospel sounds like without the context of the word of God. The Creation to Christ series helps to put things in proper context. And so in conclusion, I just want to say a few things. There are a couple strategies. I'm, I'm done. 
there are a couple strategies. One is one-on-one -on -one Bible study. We haven't spent much time talking about that, but we, we did a little bit. Sometimes, sometimes Discovery Bible Method is great one-on-one. -on -one. You as the facilitator might be having to be a little bit more active in that role, having just one person. But Creation of Christ is, is excellent one-on-one. -on -one. Small group Bible study, DBM. Guys, what I found in, in the planting of, of Living Faith in Lee Summit was that it actually it was a great Sunday morning series as well. For everyone that we were bringing in that either wasn't saved or was, or was young in their faith, they were able to consistently in a contextual manner hear the gospel. It became evangelical and equipping. I've actually so much so, uh, if, if the Lord allows us to be a church planting church, which is our desire, I'm gonna encourage that guy who we send out to prayerfully consider starting with creation of Christ. It's just so much how I believe, I, I believe in it that much. I see this as a great resource for church planting, uh, maybe even as a first sermon series, who knows? You know, and God will give you the wisdom for that. But there's so many ways that you can use this, if, if you want to call it curriculum. Just, just this, this contextual giving of the gospel. And so, any questions? I know we're over time. Any questions on creation to Christ? I hope I was clear, but that's usually when I'm not. Any questions? understand the answer, but um, the way that you're describing creation to Christ, it sounds, at least the way it's coming across, it seems more teaching-oriented than um, group discussion-oriented, just based, based on um, some of the things that the teacher may know and be able to explain, but does it fit well in discovery Bible method? Yeah, and I said this very quickly, but Creation of Christ was first developed like as a, as a methodology in tandem with Discovery Bible. That is its original construct. Now, I've done it in such a way to where I've been the primary teacher on a Sunday morning series, but I would say absolutely it can be very much uh, uh, done in Discovery Bible Method where you're just the facilitator. The biggest thing that I'm trying to do, and I think Brandon would, would agree with this, is that in trying to establish all these things, all my key points and letting them know that they're, they're lost, that just happens as we both study the scriptures together. And as a facilitator, I'm still trying to be the person that asks questions. Now, I'm trying to ask questions in such a way to where we're gonna get to answers that are found in the scriptures, but absolutely, yes, historically, Creation of Christ began as a discovery Bible method uh, strategy. So it, I may be t teaching it right now in a very like, directive manner and that's just my, my character I apologize but and, and I might be saying like they need to know this they need to know this you know, and you know, I keep talking that way but that can be done in such a way as we just expound the scriptures as the scriptures are made known and by asking pointed uh, questions open questions okay um, have you ever had someone um bring up another spiritual book as a truth source in this method? And then how do you um, confirm that the Bible is our truth source? Yeah, and I would say, especially when you're trying to reach someone maybe from a different culture, I have only one example where I was talking with a, with a guy from India who was a Hindu. And uh, 
and I'll, I'll be honest, the conversation kind of derailed. <laughs> it didn't go well. Uh, but you are looking. DBM, you're looking for people who are willing to study the Bible. And so you're not trying to actually get into a confrontational, I'll bring my book, you bring yours. We're actually asking people to say, like, would you like to study the Bible with me? And so in the times where I've had this, either one-on-one -on -one or even as a discussion, um, I haven't really dealt with that because I'm actually trying to give a premise to where this is, this is the book that we're going to be studying from. And so um, if that were the case one-on-one, -on -one, we would have to work through that. But, but we're not probably going through a Creation to Christ study if they're still at the place where they're wanting to bring up their holy book as well. Still a worthwhile conversation. It's one that needs to be had, but it might not mean that we're able to get into the depths of this at this point. I don't know, Brandon, if you have something you want to add to that. Everyone's tired. I get it. Yeah. Certainly you're available oh, um, yeah. Yeah. To, a to ask questions later today or email you. Right? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah, and my email is found on our website, livingfaithls.org. You can go to that, find contact somewhere, and my, my, my email's right there, so you can always reach out. We, we had a guy who was going to give testimony. He had COVID, so he couldn't come. But I'm telling you right now, uh, he, he has this Bible study at Hy-Vee. He works at Hy-Vee. And they moved it from the store to, to his house. And uh, they're just doing creation of Christ. And people are getting saved. I mean, like, dunk, da, dunk, da, dunk. And, uh, and more people are wanting to come. It's just a cool little season right now. Um, uh, that's Chris Teeter. And then uh, Hunter Spiza, is, he's doing a, a creation of Christ Bible study on the Longview campus. And we got guys coming to that, asking questions. Some lost, some saved. Uh, it's just a really, and the cool thing is you just keep doing it. You can keep walking through it. And it helps you and I understand a survey of the scriptures too. So I really wish Chris would have been able to share. Um, I, I feel bad that he's not feeling well. I think, he's, I think he just broke his fever last night or yesterday so that's, or the day before. So that's good. Um, he told me that once he broke his fever, he was out like building a cabinet. Like he finally had energy. So like at 1030 at night, he's like building some cabinet. So that's a weird thing to do. But um, maybe after COVID, you do weird things. So uh, anyway. I wish he was here to share that testimony. It's, it's been a really good one. Okay, sorry guys, I went long. I know it's a little long. Are we having lunch today or is that, are everyone just kind of doing their own thing? There is a lunch for our guests. If you live in the KC area and you can just go home and eat a ham sandwich, do that. Uh, but for those of you who are here from out of town and, um, and you're, you're kind of stuck, we want to provide you with food and I think I'm not quite sure where they're serving it. I would guess downstairs, right? Okay. So um, with that, do you want to you pray for our meal? We love you guys. We, we hope that this has been helpful. Um, the only way to get good at this is to do it. So if you're intimidated by it, um, that's okay. Uh, I mean, most of our faith is, is made up of moments where we're really afraid to do something, and then we do it, and we realize, wow, God is way Amen. more awesome than me yeah. and he's made up the difference uh with his grace and so don't be afraid be bold and just start employing it and god will reveal to you exactly what it's supposed to look like and, and you always have friends like us that are willing to help and and uh be a resource so let's pray father we thank you for today and i, I pray that that whatever was said was honoring to your name and that uh you would be pleased with uh the words that were spoken um Lord, as Brandon was just saying, God, I just ask, God, would you help us by your spirit to lead us 
in the times where we're afraid, like Nehemiah who was standing before the king said that he was sore afraid and he prayed unto you. Such a quick, short prayer, but yet such a strong one. God, I pray that we would be that people that, that turns to you, not only in the times of need, but throughout the day. That God, you would give us the answers on how to approach those who don't know you. Give us the ability to have a, a, a full gospel given to those that are without. Uh, Lord, we love you. We thank you. We ask that you would bless the food and nourish to our bodies. Keep us safe as we travel. Uh, give everyone discernment as to what they should do and where they should go. Uh, Lord, we want, God, you to give us protection for all of our guests here today, uh, especially those who may not be uh, used to driving in the snow. Please protect them. Uh, guide us, Lord, and uh, be with us this evening and even tomorrow with our worship services, bringing honor and praise to you. God, to you alone be the, to you alone be the glory and honor and praise. Amen.